Welcome to season two of Folds and Curves. I'm your host, Mo Kashkush. Today's guest is Adam Ryerson. Adam has a PhD in mechanical engineering from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, where he worked extensively on various medical simulations and models. He has expertise in particle and fluid dynamics and is applying his specialized knowledge of these fields as the founder and CEO of Intelligent Medicine. Intelligent Medicine has developed modeling and simulation software called Circulate, which is helping medical and other facilities design safer shared spaces. We discuss the basic science of how disease spreads, as well as how Adam and Intelligent Medicine are helping us all get back to normal safely. So let's get started. Okay, Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's let's talk about um, life getting back to normal. So things are starting to look up in the pandemic, depending on mm -hmm. where you count the start date. It's been maybe a year and a quarter to a year and a half. Yeah. Um, vaccination rates are going up, thankfully. It's uh, incredible. And the cases, hospitalizations, and deaths um, by uh, all measures are coming down for COVID. And you're starting to see people eager to get back to their normal life. Yes. Um, the NBA playoffs are around. You saw the uh, Madison Square Garden was packed. There's boxing matches. And um, I myself traveled to Yosemite last week and mm -hmm. took four planes, two there, two back. And every single one was fully booked. Um, <laughs> Not bad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people are definitely eager to get on with normal life. Um, if you look at, uh, I've seen polls on the internet, LinkedIn, et cetera, and a lot of people are ready to go back to work. Some people are favoring a more hybrid approach, three days on, two days off, yep. that kind of thing. And some people just want to stay at home, commuters, and just for uh, comfort purposes as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the majority are definitely interested in at least a hybrid approach. They want to get back yes. to their normal life. Um, and despite all these positive signs, there is sort of this still lingering concern um, or these concerns that we want to make sure we do it safely. Um, yes. We don't know for sure how long immunity lasts with vaccines and natural mm -hmm. infection. Um, and there's some concern that if we just uh, get too far ahead of ourselves, we'll be back to square one. No one wants right. to do that. Um, so you're someone who's been working on solutions at the, uh, I would say, building or environment or, or space level where mm -hmm. these shared spaces people are in. Um, you're working on figuring out ways to optimize those locations to make sure that they're safe. Um, yes. So if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your thoughts on everyone getting back to normal life. And, yep. um, you know, what are some of the important factors when thinking about getting back into these shared spaces? Of course. Yeah. So I'll talk from kind of two perspectives. One is more, one is the personal level and one will be kind of from the professional level that uh, I've been spending, you know, the past two years involved with. Um, yeah, personally, I've, I've been itching to go public places. I've been, you know, I've, I've been wanting to go to the bars. I've been wanting to hang out with friends and stuff. And um, it's, it's been great to see a lot of these locations now, um, you know, starting to welcome people coming in with um, somewhat lax mask uh, requirements. Uh, but again, that's still, everything is, is on a spectrum. So, you know, I'll go into the hardware store and, and the hardware store is large and, uh, you know, not many people are wearing masks. So if, you know, since I'm vaccinated, I feel comfortable not wearing a mask. Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll go into the, you know, a co-op area or I'll go to a, a medical building and, you know, right, right on the sign, right on the front of the store, 
they, they'll pretty much say, if you don't have a mask, don't come in. We don't care about your vaccinations. And so we're still seeing, again, a lot of people along the spectrum where a lot of businesses uh, along the spectrum where some of them are saying, hey, if you're vaccinated, great, come on in, you wear a mask, don't wear a mask either way. Uh, and then on the other side of that spectrum, we have places where masks are not only encouraged, but still required. So if you go into a medical building or you go to a hospital, you're going to have to wear a mask. And, uh, you know, some people are you know really discouraged by that, but that's just the way it is where those are those places are dealing with the most susceptible people. And they need to focus on keeping you safe as well as keeping the people that are also in there safe. So we've been see, I've been seeing quite a bit of uh, different levels of kind of reopening. And it's, been, it's definitely been really positive. I think a lot of different, different areas have been taking a more conservative approach to reopening. But it's good to see that as a country, reopening is, is starting to happen. Um, you know, for instance, you know, in New York, in uh, pretty much just, just early on in June, um, the HERO Act went into place where even though reopening is starting to take place, um, all these businesses need to have a plan in place for how they're going to maintain disinfection, how they're going to reduce the chance of infection, and, you know, and being and still treating the pandemic as something that, you know, could reoccur. So it's good to see that, you know, certain areas are being proactive about being defensive when it comes to something like this. And that kind of leads me to my next point where, um, well, how, how am I seeing this reopening as, as a, a business person who has been working in uh, medical simulation and particle simulation for the duration of this pandemic? And uh, we've, we've still been seeing quite a bit of uh, buildings and, and, and workplaces still being very concerned about, all right, if we're reopening, what's the, what are the best things that we can do not only for our employees, but also for the, the customers that are coming in or the people that come and visit us on a regular basis. And this is stemming from, uh, you know, from, from good company policy, but it's also stemming from uh, pretty much New York State or federal type regulations where they're saying, you need, it's your responsibility as a business owner to keep your customers and your employees safe. So even though the pandemic, again, has, has started pretty much coming to an end and we're starting to see reopening, um, the, the need for planning and modeling a lot of these simulations for these particle spreads um, is still being uh, heavily sought after uh, because we're still looking to see what it's going to be like when we hit that first flu season and when, what happens when we hit that first, um, you know, the first winter, what are we going to be expecting? And uh, can we take precautions or measures in order to reduce an, a second outbreak from happening? So there's been quite a bit of, uh, of movement taking place in terms of saying, all right, now that we're clean or disinfected, how do we maintain this cleanliness um, and, and, and keeping a, a clean space and a safe space for all those being involved? Yeah, yeah. So um Taking a step back, I actually wasn't aware of the HERO Act. Um, could you, mm -hmm. I, I know you sort of described um, what it requires for businesses, but could you give um, an overview of what the act what is and what mm -hmm. uh, if there's any other components to it? Yeah, so the, the HERO Act, pretty much just uh, kind of a short snippet of it, mm -hmm. is, uh, is having a kind of volunteer group within a company mm -hmm. um, help come up with a routine cleaning policy and a routine disinfection type 
protocol to follow um, mm -hmm. in the months and years to come. And pretty much by doing so, they're able to keep track of how often things get cleaned, um, what type of PPE is available for, uh, for customers and employees, and in ensuring that it's a, a kind of a company ran thing. It's not just something that the executives at the highest level are in charge of you know, overseeing. They're, they're getting, uh, you know, there's a certain number of people that have to be involved um, for every employee at the company. I think it's like, there's like for a given group of like four people, mm -hmm. I think it's like one person needs to be uh, part of this group. And uh, what this is doing is it's pretty much saying, all right, now that we're reopening, how are we going to keep this cleanliness up? What are we going to do? What type of actions can we take in order to show that we are doing the best we can to keep both customers and employees safe? And so, you know, for instance, one of the ways that they could do that is, you know, by modeling what their current, you know, capacity rates are. And, mm -hmm. you know, given those capacities, what are they doing to, to, to keep the place safe? Are they, you know, are they adding uh, air purifiers? Are they opening windows, uh, you know, for a certain duration of time? Are they increasing the, the number of air exchanges? Mm -hmm. um, things like that, that we simulate, we're able to pretty much give to tell the companies, hey, if you take these actions, you'll be able to improve the amount of air purification taking place in your space. And mm -hmm. you can thereby, you know, satisfy these requirements within that HERO Act. And, you know, we look to see what ways people can either, you know, optimize or improve the amount of cleanliness go into a space, or if they're going to redesign a space, you know, what can be done with the HVAC, what can be done with the layout of, of walls and partial walls in order to improve circulation and uh, movement in a space. Yeah, so uh, yeah, this is, let's get into the science then. This is a great segue into uh, what you're working on. So you mentioned mm -hmm. medical simulations. Um, I saw from your website that there's three main uh, factors you're considering and mm -hmm. probably tons of different parameters that fall into each one of those. Of course, um, yeah. You know, particle dynamics, user behavior, and fluid dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, maybe could you give a brief overview of all three of yeah. those and we could try to dive into each one? Of course. Yeah, so um, you know, prior, to, prior to COVID happening, epidemiology has you know, always been a really big subject um, you know, in the, throughout the world. And it's always been a big interest of mine to kind of understand what, um, you know, how diseases transmit to one another and, and how uh, the particles that we transmit can cause another individual to get sick. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big things that our simulator Circulate takes into account is the coughing and respiratory behavior in an individual and how, given that individual's um, circumstances, it could heavily have an impact on its trans on their transmission of particles. So, for instance, a lot of the research that's been leading up to the pandemic has looked heavily into uh, patients that have uh, pretty much any type of asthma or respiratory diseases, and looks to see how their coughing behavior uh, will generate um, different size aerosols and particle and particulate um, when interacting with people. And what we've uh, and what we started to see was a, a very general model as soon as COVID happened. When, when COVID happened, there was pretty much research that said, hey, you have to be six feet apart from one another. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a blanket kind of rule that was way too conservative in many places and way too lax in other circumstances. 
So what we ended up looking to do within our simulator was take a look at all the research that went into sick patients, healthy patients for men, women, elderly individuals, as well as children to see, hey, where are these particle models coming from and how do those contribute to the spread of diseases? Uh, mm -hmm. Because what we saw is that when that particle and coughing behavior gets tied into the other two aspects, the, the, AI, uh, the AI behaviors, as well as the, uh, the fluid dynamics, then that six foot rule had, you know, again, stretched quite a bit. You know, in certain cases, you might need to be eight feet apart. In certain cases, mm -hmm. you could be two feet apart from one another. The environment plays such a big role. And one of the, fir the first aspects that we started with looking into was seeing how does an individual, uh, how does an individual produce respiratory particles and what impact does that have? Um, the next part that you could imagine where, you know, disease transmission would be a big issue would be in human behavior. Um, you know, not only is it if, if I'm six foot, six feet apart from one another, uh, from an individual, that I have to think about my coughing, but I also need to think about what I am doing and how that could play a role in the um, pretty much infection transmission. So what we ended up looking into is seeing how well do individuals social distance from one another and how often are they to pretty much be lax on those rules. And given those in a, in a given space, we can either we can predict the probability of transmission from you know from individuals from one to another, and we looked at many different cases. Most of the the situations that we work on and look at are in the hospital setting. But what we're looking at is seeing all right how close do people sit from one another? How do they interact with each other when they're walking by each other? And uh, pretty much looking at the behavior behind that, we're able to then simulate that within this uh, multimodal simulation in order to tie in the interaction. So that again, you're taking that six foot rule and you're changing it based on, you know, what is the, what are the types of behaviors? Mm -hmm. And some of the biggest behavioral uh, differences that we, that we saw were, you know, for instance, between adults and children, if we're looking at a school and we're trying to map the probability of disease transmission from one indi individual to another, we're looking at children who, you know, play with each other. They touch items. They touch. Uh, they touch tool. Uh, they touch toys and and furniture. And a lot of the touching that takes place really increases that probability of disease transmission. So what we're trying to do again is, in terms of kind of feedback that we give to um, some of the the weight, the hospitals or the medical places that we work with, is saying, hey, instead of us trying to group all the, you know, the pediatric center with the general care area, we wanna split them. We wanna you know, keep the children in one section and we wanna keep all the, you know, the elderly people over 55 years old um, in a different area of the waiting room. And by doing this, we can then you know, contain some of those behaviors to their own area in a way that won't infect or, you know, or won't infect the more vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. So the, and then the last one is the fluid dynamic. And, and this, in my opinion, has, has always played the biggest role in what disease transmission looks like. Um, because a lot of times this six foot rule um, doesn't take into consideration the HVAC in a given space. It doesn't take into consideration how open an area is. Um, a lot of the coughing studies, for instance, that I refer to 
in the simulator that we talked about in the first part are all done in, in extremely contained environments. They're, mm -hmm. they're done in a, in a, a research lab where they're coughing and they're modeling it with, you know, extremely ambient type air, air quality and, and, uh, and movement. And what this doesn't look at is this doesn't look at what the flow of air looks like, what the flow of air is in a mm -hmm. space, which is extremely dynamic, all right? If you have, you know, the difference between having no airflow in a room and having, uh, you know, a single supply in return will greatly alter where those particles are being pushed. Um, for instance, let's say you have, you know, let's say you have a 10 foot long, um, if you have a 10 foot long meeting room, right, and you have an ind individual that's standing directly under a supply, and they cough, and then there's somebody, you know, all the way at the other end of the, the meeting room who's sitting right underneath the return, there is a, you know, again, that those particles are going to be carried across the room mm -hmm. over all the way to that other individual, and things like that really alter how the um, how the, the, the disease transmission could be taking place. So, you know, we look at many different spaces in terms of saying, all right, if we're, if we're looking at an auditorium or if we're looking outdoors, um, mm -hmm. compared to, you know, looking at tight waiting rooms where we have, you know, you know, about 15 people coming in per hour, what are the probabilities that they're going to interact with each other and they're going to breathe in one another's uh, particulate? And uh, by, by doing this, we're able to kind of, you know, focus on a, a locations, um, pretty much on a focus on a locations um, environment, as well as the users in that environment. So if we're looking at, uh, for instance, let's say we're looking at a, a pediatric waiting area, you know, we're looking at not only the, the individuals that are going into that space, we're, we're taking into consideration the individuals and how they cough, but we're looking at the individuals and how they behave with one another. And then on top of that, we look at whether or not that space is uh, you know, has a lot, has updated HVAC. Do they have uh, particle filters? Is there mm -hmm. HVAC, you know, do they have additional air purifiers in the space? Um, something that people, you know, might not know is that, you know, the introduction of an air purifier, while it does clean the air that it pulls in, it also greatly alters the, uh, the fluid dynamics in a space. And so it, while, you, while you might be filtering some air, you're also moving a lot more air around. And so, what we end up doing is saying, hey, yes, it's great to have air purifiers, but you wanna know where to place those air purifiers so you're not pushing contaminated particles into other people. You're taking those air contaminated air particles, you're pretty much removing them from the system and then you're filtering them out. So by pretty much taking those three different things, we're able to create this dynamic simulation that's not just trying to, all right, we're not trying to just simulate coughing by itself. We're not trying to just simulate behavior of, and contact tracing by itself. And we're not just trying to analyze uh, the fluid dynamics using CFD. We're taking all those and we're making it pretty much a, a real-time dynamic simulation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I, I, you know, with my limited to no experience in this space, um, but I, you know, I did some research leading up to this and um, I saw this video of uh, airplanes and mm -hmm. how they have these inflows coming I don't know if they're still designed like this. This video is maybe five, six years old, but um, I assume some planes still have this. Where you'd have HVACs coming in through the top or inflows coming in through the top, and you'd have outflows coming out by people's legs. Yeah. Um, which I suppose caused this problem where if someone were to cough, it would create yep. a whirlwind somewhere in the middle, mm -hmm. um, and that air would would um, would basically be in high concentration for some people and basically virtually none for other people. Um, yes. And I, I don't know, I just found that interesting. 
Um, so go yeah, ahead. oftentimes um, the, that whirlwind effect that takes place is, is usually overlooked. They think, oh, you know, if, if there's a, you know, a supply over here and a return over there, then everything's pushed out to the return. Well, not everything's pushed out to the return. The return and the supply work together to, you know, to create a, a velocity field that, again, moves the particles around. Mm -hmm. Yes, some particles will get removed out, but many particles will just, you know, be moving around in the room. So it's, it's always, you know, it's good to know that that is taking place so that you can pretty much plan for it and design around it. So that, yes, knowing that those vortexes will be there, we can mm -hmm. still plan for, you know, most of the particles to exit the space or to be uh, removed. Gotcha. Um, question about droplets. So um, from different disease or, you know, bacteria or viruses, um, are all droplets more or less the same? And I don't, I mean, in one individual. So obviously different individuals may be different. A cough is mm -hmm. different than an exhale. Um, but, you know, same person coughs twice, you know, <clears throat> first time they have COVID and another time <clears throat> they just have the flu. Does the droplet behavior change at all from the actual pathogen? Uh, is it more so, or less dead weight? So for the most part, the, the, the drop, well, so the droplet, what the droplet is pretty much specifying is, is a given size. And so mm -hmm. when we're looking at something like uh, SARS-2 or if we're looking at COVID, the, the droplets that we're handling and, and pretty much modeling will be different sizes. And then mm -hmm. just by that quality on its own, they're going to have different times for, you know, different lifespans for being suspended in the air. They're going to have uh, pretty much different stiction factors and different abilities to be picked up by specific airflows. So it, it will vary, have, vary quite differently um, mm -hmm. between different types of, uh, of pathogens. So pretty much, for instance, if you're modeling, if you're if you're modeling multiple COVID variants, the, the droplets can more or so uh, more or less be modeled similarly. Uh, mm -hmm. But if, if we're looking at, you know, the common flu and we're comparing that to COVID, we can't necessarily say that they're going to be the same. Okay. Um, another thing is we can't really say that they're going to be <coughs> going to be the same in an individual. Um, mm -hmm. the, it varies greatly in an individual depending on, um, you know, their respiratory makeup, for instance. Um, you know, if the person's asthmatic versus, uh, you know, or if the person, <clears throat> um, it, let's say the, the individual is, is sick. If the person's you know, producing a lot of mucus, for instance, they're, the particles that they're breathing out will be, again, more concentrated with that mucus. And then you know, it, it will definitely alter what is taking place um, when, when being simulated and when in an environment. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, what's the relationship between droplet size and time suspended in the air? Um, not, not counting for things like HVAC, mm -hmm. just maybe in an ambient room. Yeah. So as the so larger, pretty much larger droplet size will, what will ultimately happen is they will pretty much fall to the ground faster. Okay. Um, what, what we have is if in the case that you have a larger droplet size, you, you do have, you probably have a larger probability of that droplet being absorbed by an individual in the case that they're coming through that space. But at the same time, those particles will come to, will pretty much fall down and, and come to rest earlier on. Uh, the problem with some of this modeling is that as particles, uh, you know, as, as an individual coughs and as you know, pretty much as the droplets are formed, those, those particles will start to dissipate and they'll spread out over, <clears throat> over time. And um, it gets to a point where you can't really model that anymore. 
And a lot of the research that went into pretty much the COVID-19 droplets is seeing, all right, well, what is the smallest recognizable um, droplet from this COVID-19? And does that still transmit the, uh, the pathogens from one individual to another? So a lot of that research is still, I would say, under development. And it's kind of hard to say whether or not, um, you know, a specific, you know, you need a certain um, concentration of uh, COVID-19 in order for that to be transmitted. But what we're definitely seeing is that uh, COVID-19 behaves similarly to other COVID variants. So um, it, that helps for the modeling of future type respiratory um, diseases. Mm -hmm. Great. And then um, now user behavior, I imagine to a um, pretty large degree, would be influenced by um, whether it's business level or hospital level, building level protocols. Um, you know, you might've mentioned wearing a mask earlier. Um, maybe some people are, are wearing it, you know, under their nose versus over their nose. Um, although I guess that, that point specifically is besides the point. But my, my question is how do um, like corporate level policies influence different simulations, um, you know, mm -hmm. maximum capacity of a room or yep. um, how many people you can bring with you, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say though, both of the things that you mentioned, how many people in a room and, uh, and the mask aspect mm -hmm. are both two things that great or gr have great influences on the amount of transmission that takes place for any type of um, any type of disease or particulate. Uh, pretty much, you know, one of the main things that we look at is what is a current building's occupancy rate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we take the data that they have for like, a given year or a given week, and, and we model that to say, all right, if we're spawning, you know, if, if we have, you know, five people coming in per hour versus having 30 people coming in per hour, what's, the, what, you know, what's the probability that they transmit to one another? And how long are those particles suspended in that airflow? And how long does it take after those people leave for that entire room to be cleaned? Mm -hmm. So we one of the biggest policies and the earlier the earliest ones are is looking at what that maximum capacity is um, okay. because we, you never want to have to every all these a lot of these businesses and hospitals are always going to be more on the conservative side when it comes to um, you know the number of people that they have in a given space so they look to see all right if if we operate at the most conservative value. Um, are we still able to see the same number of patients, you know, throughout the day? And if not throughout the day, then throughout the week. And how do we kind of, what can we do to then increase those occupancy rates? Can we, can we see more people if we, for instance, you know, if we require masks and we have barricades around our workers? Um, you know, if we have space seating in a given area, can we then you know, increase the number of people we have uh, knowing that they will be able to separate each other uh, more so. Uh, mm -hmm. Another thing that, you know, we also look at in terms of, of protocols is uh, different types of check-in and check-out um, aspects. So, for instance, um, in the case that you run a dentist office or you have a, an imaging center, you can opt to have, uh, pretty much have a remote check-in where nobody comes in and waits in your waiting room, but when you call them or you notify them to come in, they come in and they go directly to see the doctor. Uh, the same thing can be done with checkout. Instead of having a going out to the waiting room and checking out in that area, you can have a, something like a bedside checkout where you check out with the nurse or, uh, or the individual um, after you have your procedure done or after mm -hmm. you see the doctor 
And therefore you're not spending as much time in that common space. Now, lots of these things all contribute and they can all be tweaked and tuned. And it's it, the big thing when it comes to the businesses is seeing what types of protocols do they implement that will have the, the least impact on kind of how their standard of running and operating is. Uh, yeah. they oftentimes they don't want to have to make big changes that will, you know, really change the way the workers operate or the way that their users have to come in and operate. So they try not, they don't want to have to sacrifice that. And so by telling them, hey, you know, you can, if you, you know, by making these changes, you can reduce the probability of infectious transmission by, you know, from, you know, from 15% down to, you know, 1% or 2%, they, they look to make those changes. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that's kind of, that's the big positive. Um, another thing is that a lot of these, uh, what we're noticing in these spaces is that the biggest, the pretty much the biggest um, changes are happening to the, the, the workers and the employees, because mm -hmm. the employees are who we're modeling throughout the entire day. Um, we'll have, you know, probably a patient come in, someone that's going into an imaging center, and they'll be in that space for, you know, one, one to an hour, one to two hours, maybe. Um, but the workers, the workers are around everybody for, you know, eight to nine hours. And what yeah. we're seeing is the biggest, you know, whenever we make a policy change, the amount of transmission that happens around the employees, both from employee to employee, as well as employee to patient is, is greatly reduced. And so I think by implementing some of these, by, by modeling this and implementing some of these protocols, they're able to pretty much do the most for their workers, which is, I think, you know, really important, uh, especially yeah. for, you know, not only on kind of the humanitarian scale and uh, not only on the human, on the human humanitarian level, but also on the financial level. You know, if, you're, if your workers are getting sick less, that's, that's less paid sick leave, and that's also uh, pretty much higher productivity. So um, mm -hmm. that's kind of the big thing that we, that we talk about with these um, facilities and with these companies when we're working with them is, you know, the benefits are, you know, twofold in, in the sense that you're helping out as well as you're, you're ensuring to keep a safe space uh, for your workers by, and then therefore reducing the amount of, you know, sick leave that needs to be paid out or the amount of sickness that takes place in the space. Yeah, I think those are um, really good points. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the financial aspect too, because that's um, one of the questions I have is, you know, are there any, you know, in theory, you could, put everyone in a spacesuit or something, yep. uh, you know, full PPE. Um, you could have them all walking around in these little bubbles all day and they're just yeah. like zero risk of transmission. Um, you know, the first thing I would say, no one wants to do that. Um, yeah. No, no one wants to wear masks even. <laughs> yeah, right. So you're going to have like low compliance. Um, second part is it would be enormously expensive to buy a spacesuit mm -hmm. for everyone. Yes. So, you know, kind of the question would be, how do uh, employers deal with um, balancing, you know, maximum um, infection risk uh, reduction mm -hmm. and costs and compliance? Yep. Yeah. So, and I can only say kind of from my end of what I see from, from what mm -hmm. they're saying and kind of the feedback that we get. Mm -hmm. But the big thing that it, it often comes up, and this is, it depends on kind of what industry you're in. If you're a private company, um, you, you know, you're keeping an eye on your workers and you're keeping an eye on your customers as well as your public image. Uh, but if we're looking at a space that's a government space, for instance, mm -hmm. you're dealing with a lot of other, um, you know, again, federal constraints as well as state-based constraints as well as, as union constraints. So for instance, if, if your workers are union workers, you have a, you definitely have a certain requirement that you have to fulfill in terms mm -hmm. of keeping your 
um, in terms of keeping your workers safe. And so a lot of the times the amount that goes into um, uh, producing the, the disinfection, uh, disinfection as well as the, uh, the protocols for uh, keeping a space safe is heavily based on either what's being required by the state or on the federal level, uh, but also pretty much what is enough to, I would say, maintain an image and, uh, you know, whatever's least expensive. So um, we don't try, like, the solution that we try to offer is a, you know, a low-cost solution that can be used, reused over and over and over again so mm -hmm. that they don't have to, you know, re-perform this analysis or really have to try to spend a lot of money. Because mm -hmm. what happens is um, they have to take into consideration, you know, in the probability that we have a, you know, a COVID outbreak at this point um, within our facility, do we have to close the doors? And if we close the doors, how long do they have to, do the doors have to be closed for? And because, um, you know, we'll see story, we'll see news stories kind of across the country right now where if a COVID outbreak happens in an area, they have to, you know, they have to close up for a week. They have to close up for two weeks. And, you know, this would definitely lead to, larger costs down the road. Yeah. So uh, a big thing that uh, I would say the companies that we speak to are, you know, how does this improve their bottom line um, when it comes to keeping that space cleanly, clean and safe? And another thing is, is just um, is, is that public image where, you know, nowadays we're all, I think, I think as uh, humans on this earth now, we're all more susceptible to thinking about that before going into a space. If I look into a space, if I look into a store or whatever and I see it, I'm thinking, oh, you know, does it look clean? Am I gonna be clean going in there? Mm -hmm. um, and what, what if they put my best interests first? Um, so a lot of, and that's, you see that a lot now with, with companies and stuff. You'll, you'll go to a fast food restaurant and they'll put stickers of like, you know, whatever soap they're using or whatever cleaning product they're using yeah. because they're trying to inform their customers, hey, we're keeping this space clean for you. And, um, every, and they're going to do everything they can pretty much, um, you know, within their budget to keep places clean. Yeah. Do you see that trend um, of really putting that sort of infection uh, risk at the forefront? Um, do you see that trend um, continuing in the long term? Or do you think sort of, you know, let's say we, we uh, beat COVID in the next year or mm -hmm. two, um, completely gone, or maybe everyone just gets vaccinated once a year, something like that. Do yeah. you think people will still have that psychology of um, having disease spread at the forefront um, in the long term? Uh, I, I think it's, it's a mixed bag, honestly, yeah. because you right. can even see, you know, uh, let's start at the very, like at the uh, one end of the spectrum. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even during the pandemic, you know, people didn't believe in it. People didn't care about it. They didn't even, you know, they, they didn't believe that it was happening. So um, things like this, I think, will still exist, and if anything, they will start to uh, they'll start to expand probably over time as you know the as we get out of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I think that as a society, we will start to think more clean in terms of what we're doing and uh, more sanitary in terms of our interactions. Yeah. Um, because it was it was the behavior that we had prior to this that really led us to to this so I, I do think that there will be you know opening up again and and you know we won't be having to deal with we hopefully we won't have to see it or witness it on a very um personal level but mm -hmm. i think that um 
businesses and governments, both locally and federally, will probably take a higher, uh, probably a stronger stance on yeah. the cleaning and disinfecting that takes place on a regular basis, um, which I which I think is really important. I hope that we see, you know, proper sanitation and cleaning on, on subways and buses. You know, mm-hmm. oftentimes before the pandemic, you know, things like buses, everybody can agree that they want clean buses. Um, but it, it took us until a pandemic to the point where we had to say, all right, now everybody's, now everybody's going to clean their buses, they're going to clean their subways, and this is going to be a higher priority. And I hope that that maintains. I'm, I'm, positive, I'm optimistic about that, um, but I think at least for the next year or two, we could certainly see that there is going to be a, a higher priority on disinfection and cleaning and then maintaining kind of a, a clean environment for people to interact in and to, yeah. uh, to work in. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I don't, I, I agree one, you know, not knowing how individuals will feel. I think I agree it's a mixed bag, but at the, um, at the government corporate level, um, I think, uh, I mean, I think the costs were just too high and mm-hmm. this kind of showed that to everyone um, of not yeah. being prepared, uh, not just with the um, infection risk and cleaning, but, but also things like, um, you know, our national like supply chain running out of PPE and of not course, having enough yeah. PPE offshoring all of our manufacturing. Like a lot of that pandemic preparedness, I think will, um, will be elevated in, in the coming years um, for sure. Um, you know, going back to your modeling, I think, I think like with the, so the user behavior and the fluid dynamics, even, you know, getting new HVAC mm-hmm. systems, um, adding air purifiers, opening windows, those um those both seem like modifiable and things that yeah. um hospitals can 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 make changes to to reduce that risk um i'm curious about the the particle dynamics is there any uh like modifiable things that uh, individuals or companies can do to um actually modify the actual particle dynamics or is that sort of just intrinsic to um you know all of the things you discussed um, previously so the particle dynamics i would say the biggest things that we really see uh, w- within our models at least is the the biggest differentiator is, is wearing the masks right so yeah. in, in the case that you know individuals wear masks the particle dynamics that come from those masks are, gr- are much different than if an individual coughs or is breathing with no mask mm-hmm. and that's not to say hey guys we have to wear masks forever because we need to be you know safe from this it's it's showing how that physical aspect to it can have a really great impact on the transmission of any type of, of sickness. So mm-hmm. kind of my, the, the middle ground for that is, hey, when you're coughing and you're, or you're sneezing, you know, make sure you cough or sneeze into your arm. Um, you know, don't cough or sneeze into your hand and don't just sneeze out into the open air. You know, do something that's, you know, have a behavior that is going to kind of reduce the particle dynamics um, from you to that outside world. If you cough or sneeze into your elbow, you can, you know, walk into the clean, you can walk into the, you know, bathroom and you can clean off your arm and you know with minimal harm done you just cough or sneeze out in the hope and you know you're releasing that to you know to the environment and uh you know big another big thing is coughing or sneezing into your hand yeah you didn't release the particles out of the open but now anything that you come in contact with we have to trace and we have to ensure that you know those things are clean Mm -hmm. so um as for the types of other particle dynamics that you could really alter it's kind of, it's definitely hard to say. Um, I would say probably the amount of moisture you have you mm-hmm. know, definitely alters it as well. And the, uh, the humidity in a room. 
So the room is very, very humid. You're going to have extremely, you know, a lot of droplets, a lot of water building up in the, in that space. And that will greatly uh, affect the, the particle dynamics. So it's a big thing that we look into is the temperature and the humidity in a room. Um, in terms of how well those particles are able to move around or how quickly those, the, pretty much the droplets build up and then fall to the ground. Mm-hmm. So those are some things, but um, most spaces, for instance, are you know, kept at what we consider a, uh, you know, a desirable level of humidity. Yeah. Uh, we're not gonna go out and tell everybody to you know, crank their humidity up so that we can you know, prevent um, particles from transmitting as easily. Gotcha. Um... Yeah. So what is the, uh, like mechanistically, what is a, what does a mask actually do? I mean, obviously looking at it, you can tell yeah. it's, it's going to reduce the transmission, but is it, is it making it so that the particles aren't getting as far? Is it making yep. it smaller, uh, both maybe? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of those. Uh, pretty much what that does is the mask, as you cough into it, it greatly reduces the velocity of all mm-hmm. those particles in there. In fact, it stops a lot of particles from really escaping. And what we end up seeing, though, is that even if you have a mask on, um, nowadays we have kind of more of these, you know, if you're not using an N95 mask uh, that's properly fitted all the way, you're going to release some particles out into the environment, all right? And these particles are going to be are going to be much smaller than the ones that came out of your mouth to begin with. They get broken up, the velocity is greatly reduced, and they're kind of pushed off in, in different directions. So you know, if you have a mask on and the mask is, has a little opening right here, the particles will probably get pushed up more so. Mm-hmm. Um, what we also see is that the, um, the, the particles that, that come out of the, the mask are greatly reduced. So, um, you know, while the mask isn't a perfect solution, it's, it's enough to, you know, reduce the types of transmission that we're seeing. Um, and it's just kind of like a, a small piece to the larger pub- puzzle of saying, all right, how do we reduce this? What are all the little steps we can take? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. Um, so what about, so user behavior? So I, this is kind of something I was thinking about. Um, on, on one level, I want to say the behavior of people is like extremely hard to predict. Someone could just yep. get up for no reason and go talk to their friend. Um, there's yeah. no way you could predict that. Uh, on the other level, um, you know, people do have very um, people can be habitual and they, um, mm-hmm. you know, someone drinks a cup of coffee at 9am, they go to the kitchen and yeah. an hour and a half later, they get up to go to the bathroom. Um, everyone goes <laughs> to the kitchen area or the cafeteria at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. There's like certain elements of a day that are actually pretty predictable. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of curious, like, how do you actually simulate the motion of people? Is it random, like pseudo random? How do you it's, think about that? I would say it's pseudo-random. Uh, it's, it, well, yeah, I, can, I, can, I can tell you it's pseudo-random because we're, we're generating these behaviors. Mm-hmm. But um, all the spaces that we work in are, are fairly uh, contained environments in that it's not just general public. It's usually mm-hmm. the people that are going there um, fit into a specific group of individuals who mm-hmm. we can generally say what they're most likely going to be doing in these times. Uh, you know, gotcha. that's it's not so much about the person, but it's about, oh, if this person is going to the doctor's office and they're going to the waiting room, what are they most likely doing in that waiting room? Um, And, you know, we do this by observing what's taking place in waiting rooms. It doesn't matter kind of who you are as an individual when you go into a waiting room. Usually go into the waiting room, you go and you speak to the receptionist, uh, you then, you know, turn around and you find a seat. Now, the, the different types of behaviors that are being modeled at that point forward is, 
you know, how likely are you to adhere to social distancing as an individual and how likely are you to be wearing a mask? And um, when I say, we use the word social distancing now specifically in like this simulated environment, because even prior to the pandemic, everybody kind of had a certain level of social distancing that they would have. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't walk into the doctor's office and you're just like up close against other people and you're like, you know, you're really near them. Um, yeah. But, you know, yeah, people don't generally uh, like sit down right next to someone if there's an additional right. seat. If, the if there are seats kind of scattered <laughs> throughout, then, yeah, they're more likely going to be sitting in areas that, you know, space them out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, now, compare this to something like a mall or, uh, you know, a restaurant. There we have behaviors where people are coming in and, and they do get close to one another. Now, again, they're not like necessarily up against each other, but they're they're walking with each other. People are paired more. Um, you know, people are going and sitting at booths with each other. So we model this behavior as, again, a restaurant goer um, in a way that says, all right, if you're going into the space, who are you going to be interacting with? If you're coming with somebody, are you going to be close with them? Are you going to be interacting with them? Are you talking to them? These are the types of behaviors that we look at to say, uh, what's the probability that any type of transmission could take place there? And then, uh, but then on, on, I kind of, I've been, I've been increasing kind of the type of the tightness of social distancing. Um, mm-hmm. Now we haven't looked at these, at this, but for instance, if you're looking at a club now, social distancing, the weighting on that is extremely low. You know, you're up against people you might not want to be up against. You're, you're it's very yeah. tight. You're dancing with people. You're, you know, and when you're dancing, you're, you know, you're, you're breathing more, you're creating more respiratory particles. Mm-hmm. This type of behavior, this, you know, dancer behavior, um, is more social. They're talking to people around them and stuff. They're not just talking to their friends. Yeah. These types of things are where we kind of apply these general behaviors to what their goals and tasks are in a given space. And yeah. um, we predict it based on that. So, uh, but like I said, most of the spaces we look at are, are fairly structured air, are fairly structured places um, yeah. in terms of like doctor's offices, uh, medical buildings, uh, schools, things like that. Gotcha. Um, all right. So I kind of have like one more COVID type question and then I'm, I want to go beyond that, um, mm-hmm. to wrap up and kind of think about like, what are, um, what are some of the more longer term, um, objectives of intelligent medicine? Um, yeah, but when it comes to COVID, I'm kind of curious to what degree you're, um, factoring in, you know, local vaccination rates, local mm-hmm. hospitalizations, um, you know, how prevalent is the disease in a certain community and yep. how many people are immune to it? Um, I, you know, on, on one hand, it sounds very obvious to account for all of that. On the other hand, I wonder, um, you know, how much does that actually change what someone's practice looks like? Yep. Um, so I'm just kind of curious if you could comment on that. Yeah, so we actually do, we take the, the two things that you mentioned that we, we take into account directly are pretty much whether or not, like the number of people that are masked and mm-hmm. the uh, number of people that are vaccinated. So mm-hmm. we, that, a lot of that data can come directly from these medical facilities or these medical buildings where they're saying, you know, uh, in this given day, we had this many people come in who, you know, were, were vaccinated and we had this number of people who, you know, carried that infection. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're able to do from that is, again, this isn't patient-specific data, but they give us this general number so that we then take that into account into the modeling. So, mm-hmm. for instance, if there's, a, you know, if there's a, a 55% vaccination rate, 
at that uh, at that clinic or at that location, then that type of information can be used uh, in order to simulate whether or not transmissions would be taking place. Uh, another thing that we, I'd say what we worked with more so is uh, geographical data for a given area. So if we're looking at, you know, upstate New York and we're trying to compare what whether or not somebody would transmit a disease to another individual or transmit mm -hmm. COVID to another individual, we would look at the COVID transmission rates in that area and we would pretty much um, use that within our model. Um, that would also pretty much be able to tell us kind of, you know, what is the probability that individuals are wearing masks and whether or not that place has an, a very strict mask policy or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, that's great. Um, so then beyond um, COVID um, in particular, I mean, disease is obviously prevalent, mm -hmm. um, you know, specifically within hospitals, infection control um, has long been an important department and it will continue to be one, perhaps even more so now. Um, you know, people have always come in with one problem and maybe they're getting a surgery or um, they're sick for one reason and they might come out with an infection, um, mm -hmm. something more severe than they came in with. And this has always been a problem and always something that hospitals have been working hard to try to fix. Yep. Um, so I'm curious beyond COVID, um, what you are thinking about the future in terms of infection control in hospitals, but also piggybacking off of my earlier question, not just hospitals, but um, you know, I think we both kind of agree that broader economy will be um, more focused mm -hmm. on infection control, or at least you know, creating when they're building new buildings or modifying existing ones yep. um, to minimize this kind of risk. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and you kind of mentioned pretty much our main area right now, which is um, building production. So architecture, engineering, and construction, or AEC. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the biggest area that we work in um, right now when we pretty much give feedback in terms of how the HVAC is laid out for a given space or how a, a given building is designed. Um, we're able to pretty much take that into account with all the other optimizations that, are, that have been done for years. Um, because while the pandemic really brought well, the pandemic really put cleanliness at, at the highest level of concern, it's definitely going to come down, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to come down and it's most likely going to be then compared to energy consumption and costs. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the field of AEC, we're not going to see, you know, cleanliness and, um, and air circulation thrown out the window. It's going to be kind of brought in to a more reasonable level where it can be compared against um, patient comfort, um, user com like comfort in an area, so that mm -hmm. you know the depending on the temperature and the airflow in a space, it's taken into consideration there now. Um, yeah. It'll also be taken into consideration for the cost of energy. Um, pretty much, you know, in the case that we provide a solution that will completely clear out all the particles and keep it very safe and clean, but it, the cost is exuberant, then uh, that's not it's not going to fly. So yeah. we're looking to, to fit kind of our modeling and our simulation into the architectural design phase and the mechanical design phase so that it's something that's thought about alongside all the other, all the other aspects. Um, on top of that, we're looking more so into seeing how this simulator can not only um, look at particle transmission, but how it can also take into effect all of those other um, aspects that, you know, that, that need to be thought about in a space. How can we improve space design in, in order to um, accommodate our users? 
So um, the, the AI aspect and the user behavior has been a, a big part that not only impacts transmission, but it will also, you know, uh, impact, you know, the happiness of users as well as the, the congestion that takes place in a hospital setting mm -hmm. or the amount of uh, the upkeep that needs to take place um, when looking at the, uh, pretty much when looking at the, um, the, the way that a place operates. So oh, one sec, my cat was trying to knock my webcam off. <laughs> Did not want no worries. to Cats are uh, welcome on the <laughs> show as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's been running around. Um, but anyways, so we're looking in a lot of these different areas that pretty much will start to take this into account uh, on the regular on the regular basis, but just not necessarily to the level that it's been taken into account for this past year. Um, in addition to that, a big area that has always been, that has been starting to be worked on is uh, pretty much uh, caregiver or remote caregiver or cleaner um, type mm -hmm. behavior. So in the case that we're trying to plan out what needs to be done in a given space or how a, a space needs to be clean or how often it needs to be clean, these types of, uh, of protocols can be put into place so that other things such as, you know, robotic cleaning assistance or mm -hmm. um, automated cleaning assistance can go through and, and activate their sensors um, based on, you know, what is expected. So a big area that this kind of fits into is, is the control loop for what detection and cleaning should look like when it comes to um, either robotic cleaning or for automated cleaning, where they need to simulate what a space will how often a space will need to be cleaned, then they need to go out and they need to be able to actually clean that space. So um, a lot of the, the back end that we work on and that we develop can uh, fit pretty well into those areas where they're trying to plan, again, an entire building in terms of its use and how well do, they, do we need to go and clean that area and how, what other areas can we, can we focus on and clean? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's great, and I think I think you're like definitely on uh, in the right direction. I, I kind of like to mentally compare this to uh, kind of like renewable energy trend. Like I think this will just uh, become more and more important um, in the same way yeah. that renewable energy has not just been like a, a one year off. Uh, it's it's yeah. been a continuing trend, um, and uh, I, so I kind of want to kind of wrap up with a. This is just a quote. I don't even know if I'm getting it right. I didn't write it down, but um, there's a quote about something. Um, all, all models are wrong, but some are useful. I think is the gist yeah. of it. Um, how do you how do you think that quote kind of applies to uh, to what you're doing? And do you think it's accurate? Do you think um, do you think the minutia of the models um, are important in the details, or more so they're useful for getting to the end goal of a safer environments? Yeah, they. I 100% agree with that quote um, because uh, the bit, there's always a trade-off in modeling, and that's pretty much the the details in the model versus the time that model takes. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, if you have an extremely detailed model, that model will take longer to generate, and it will it might not be useful when it's once it's generated. If we model every single particle in the room, and and we know where all the particles are. The room has changed in that time and you know we already lost that information and that information is no longer useful so what our goal is in terms of real-time modeling and simulation is being able to provide feedback that is important enough and accurate enough in a reasonable time frame so that action can be taken 
-hmm. And and by doing so, you know, we're trying to get you know ninety five percent of the results, eight ninety percent of the results that gives the information that says, hey, here's a conservative estimate. These are the things that need to be improved upon, and this is what you can do to 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 improve that. Yeah. And by doing that, you know, by by focusing on getting the answer right enough and being conservative enough, they're going to be, you know, again, over overcompensating for what they might have needed to do exactly, but still better than what they're currently doing. So, right. you know, in in the exam, in like kind of a big example that we look at is um, trying to see kind of what do we need to clean. You know, we don't look at we're not looking at each individual particle and which particles need to be cleaned. We're looking at what the general volume for those particles are, where do those particles generally land? So we gotcha. can go in and we can clean those areas and we can clean those surfaces. And by providing this approximation, we can give very fast feedback. And, and again, fast enough so that that feedback is actually useful. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, that's the way, that's how I, that, that modeling needs to be taken into and considered. Um, you know, it's not, you know, these the simulations aren't surgical precision. But at the end of the day, you know, we're not doing surgery with them. So yeah. um, we're looking to say, hey, if we need to clean an area or we need to know what area is most likely to be to have, um, you know, infectious spread, what area should we go in and clean? And again, we'll give you a conservative approximation, um, but it's it's what you can act on. Yeah, I mean, that, that's um, that's great. I mean, I think that's um, just a great place to end because it's, it's just so, uh, <laughs> I think it so clearly uh, kind of describes what you're looking to do. And yes. um, I mean, it, it almost follows like a kind of Pareto rule where there's probably like some really high value things you can do of course, to yeah. take care of uh, a workspace. And then there's probably things that are just not worth the time and effort. Um, and, mm -hmm. we've, and we've seen that throughout the pandemic. There's been a lot of um, sort of recommendations that have ended yep. up being worthless and um, as more information comes in. But, um, you know, with that said, definitely want to wish you the best of luck. I think you're doing great work. And I, I think... Uh, I think you're going to see just more and more business over the, the years. Um, you're just, uh, you know, definitely hitting the right mark here. Yeah. Thank you very much. And yeah, thank you very much for, you know, your, uh, for having me on the show. It was a great experience. I really, I loved chatting and stuff. So, you know, good luck with, you know, uh, pursuing this podcast and, uh, you know, I look forward to watching more of them to come. Oh yeah, definitely. They're on the way. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you all enjoyed the show and learned something from Adam. Please check out the show notes to learn more about Adam and intelligent medicine. Have a good one.